Well, Council Bluffs, thank you for having me over here. It's a joy and an honor um, for Doug and Eric to ask me to be here. You know, I was thinking about it this morning. I, uh, I came over to the building probably almost a year ago now. Uh, they were first looking at it with the staff of, of Midtown, and it did not look like this. And so you guys have done some work, and this looks amazing. I love that you guys have, have really transformed a building into your home. I mean, this is your family's home. And so it's fun to be here. Uh, As Eric said, uh, things are a little bit crazy right now for my wife and I who uh, we're we're doing the college ministry. This is our fourth year in college ministry at City Light Midtown. Uh, And just this September, we felt the call uh, to go and plant a church in 2017. And so at this point, we're still doing college ministry. We're getting ready for City Light Exarbon. Um, But it's a little bit nerve wracking because We've got about 50 to 100 people, uh, but we have really no building, no money, and no solid plans as of right now. And so uh, I'll tell you what, though, what we do have uh, is, is myself and the, the other pastor, Jared, that's going to be pastoring, is we have a very strong call from the Lord. We believe that the Spirit of God is calling us to do this, and so even without a building or money, we're moving forward. So uh, if you guys want to talk anymore, I don't want to take up too much time, but I'd love to, to chat with you about that and receive any prayers from you guys as we are, as we're moving forward. So uh, this morning, though, as Eric read, we're going to be in First Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, I think we're going to still have the, the words on the screen, but if you have a Bible, go First Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. First Thessalonians, small book in the New Testament. I'll be honest, uh, I was working through this book this last school year with some college guys, uh, and that was about the first time that I've really read through and studied First Thessalonians. So I know it's not a, a very popular book, but I think that God has uh, something unique in it for us this morning. And so uh, I'm actually going to really quick just pray again. I just want to ask the Spirit one more time into this morning, and then we're going to get rolling. So Father God, um, I need you this morning. God, we need you here this morning. Would you send your spirit to enlighten our eyes and our minds? Uh, God, would you sharpen my mind? Would you soften my heart? And would you open all of our ears and eyes as we look through your word? Uh, God, would we be sensitive to whatever the spirit is doing in this room this morning? We need you, your word, and your spirit. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, Have you ever started something that you didn't finish? So think about it. Have you ever, have you ever started something that you, that you never quite finished? Maybe you had all the best intentions in the world of finishing out this plan, but you never quite got there. You know, if you were to ask uh, my wife or, or someone that knows me, they would probably tell you that this is one of my greatest flaws. So I'm like a, I'm a visionary. I love thinking through plans and ideas and, and wanting to create something that isn't there yet. And, and I can think of all these plans and I have the hardest time actually getting those plans done. I, I, I can start something and I can think up something, but I really struggle to actually finish it. And I'll give you an example. This last year, uh, my wife and I thought it would be a good idea to, to buy a home for ourselves. And so we're looking at different houses and and, you know, I work at a church, and so we don't make very much money. And so we decide, okay, well, let's get a cheap house that we can just renovate. And we'll fix it up ourselves. And so, so we find one, and we walk in with the realtor, and it's in kind of rough shape, and it looks a little bit rough. And we're, but we're looking at it, 
And my wife and I, we're walking around and we're envisioning, okay, we'll just, we'll tear some of these walls out and we'll rip up all the flooring in the house and the, the neon green paint, we'll, we'll get rid of that. And there's this weird other kind of paint and so we'll, we'll get rid of that. So we'll paint everything and we'll do new floors and we'll renovate the, the outside and, and the landscaping and everything. We've got all these plans that we're envisioning and we're drawing up all these ideas. And I tell you, we're eight months later and I'll just say I still have my wife asking when some of these projects are going to get done, right? Like I've planned all these things and, and probably even worse, I've started a lot of the projects and they sit there still unfinished, right? It's just a, it's a, it's kind of a human condition, I think, that, that we love to like draw up these ideas and we can think through things, but it's really hard for us sometimes to actually finish, whether it's house projects or whether it's a a new you kind of health plan for this year or, or a Bible reading plan or, or big things or small things, we all have the tendency to, sometimes to start something and not get to the finish line. And I think that, that this kind of fallen condition of man, this idea of starting something and not being able to finish, was Paul's worry and angst for the church in Thessalonica. You see, Paul is the author of this letter, 1 Thessalonians, and he's writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica. And see, Paul and a couple friends actually went in and they helped plant the church. So Paul and two other guys, Silas and Timothy, planted the church in Thessalonica. They started it. It was prosperous. People were coming to faith. And just a little ways into it, some people in the city decided they didn't like what was going on and they ran the church planters out of town. So imagine if it's here in Council Bluffs, if all of a sudden one day, man, the church is starting to, to have, some things are happening, some fruit is coming, and the people, some people in Council Bluffs come in and they kick Eric and Doug out of town. They say, we don't want a church here. We don't want you guys here. And they run them out of town. I would bet that over the next few months, what's going on in Eric and Doug's mind is, man, I wonder how this person is doing. I wonder if the church is still holding strong. I wonder if that person who got baptized in November, if they're, if they're still walking with Jesus. That, that guy who, who was really doubting his faith, I wonder if he made it through. I wonder if he's still clinging on. You know, it's these type of worries that Paul had for this church. He loved this church. These were his people. He saw people starting to come to faith, and now he was removed from them, and he had this angst but I wonder how the church is doing. I wonder if the church that started so well will make it to the finish line. And what we see in 1 Thessalonians is, is a letter that Paul writes to the church. And in the first chapter, he's reflecting on this angst for them. He's reflecting on this idea of starting and not finishing. And what Paul's going to do in chapter 1 of this book is he's going to write to them and say, I am confident in you. I have a confidence that the church that started, even if I'm gone, that you're going to make it, that you're going to make it to the finish line. And so the question this morning then is how does he have this confidence? What is it about this church that gives him the confidence that they're going to make it? And then at the end of this morning, I want to just lay that on us and say, for us, is that true of us? Would Paul have confidence in us to say, I have faith that you're going to make it through? 
that the faith that you have, that the church that's sprouting here, that you're going to make it to the finish line, that you're going to cling to Jesus till the end. So we want to look at why does Paul have confidence and then just simply ask the question, is this true of me? Would Paul have confidence in me? And so the big idea, I think, for this morning, that Paul has confidence in the Thessalonians. So why does he have confidence? I think the big thing that we're going to see is that he has confidence in their faith because they have become imitators of the Christian life. So Paul has confidence in this church because they have become imitators of the Christian life. Now, look with me in 1 Thessalonians 1 to where I get that. In verse 6, he says this. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Now, in verses 4 and 5, he just said that he has confidence in them because they received the gospel, the word of the Lord, in power and with the Holy Spirit. He says, I, I believe that you received this. And he says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So he's saying, look, I have confidence in what started here because you're imitators now of us and the Lord. And when he says us, he's referring to the, the three kind of church planters. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy. He, Timothy. He's saying, you've become imitators of us and of the Lord, which he's referring here to Jesus. So he's saying, you're looking like us as we're striving to look like Jesus. Now, when we read this word imitate, in our kind of English, what we often think about when we think of imitate is kind of this this mimicking of like an external behavior, right? So you think of kind of like a, a Simon Says type thing, that whatever I say or do, you just kind of mimic that. Not that you really believe it or that you're doing it by yourself, but you're just kind of mimicking whatever I say. But that's, that's not exactly what Paul's talking about here. You see, the word that he's using here is not just an external kind of change in behavior, but when he uses this word imitating, he's saying that this is a more holistic, entire uh, changing of oneself. So when he's characterizing this church as imitating them, he's saying, you are actually changing into the likeness of us and ultimately of Christ. From the soul level, you're looking more like Christ than you did even before. So in other words, he's saying, I'm confident in, confident in your faith because you're looking more like Jesus. You're becoming an imitator of the Lord. You're striving after Jesus. There's a deep soul level change that's going on here. And you're transforming into new life. That's his kind of overall confidence. He says, I'm confident in that because you're changing. You're imitating the Lord. Now, he's going to give us two markers of that. He's going to give us two reasons that he says, I'm confident in that because of two things. He's going to say, I'm confident in that because you've received the gospel. And I'm confident in that because the gospel has empowered you to repent. You've received and you've repented. Okay, so that's the, the two points. For the remainder of my time, I just want to look at those two things and see what does it mean to actually receive the gospel and what does it mean to actually have the gospel empower you to repent? And then again, at the end, we're just going to lay this out for all of us and just say, man, is this true of me? 
has this marked my life? Am I looking more like Jesus between these two things? So first, Paul is confident they've become imitators because they've received the gospel message. Look at the end of, cha- or the end of verse 6. So he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, yet with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. So Paul is confident here that they are changing into the likeness of Christ because they've received the true message of the gospel, the real gospel message that they've received then. He says, even in affliction, even in your hard times, I know you've received it because you still have joy of the Holy Spirit. He says the reality for Paul is that he believes they're the real deal because they didn't, they didn't receive kind of a watered down version of the gospel. Right? They didn't receive the, the gospel in just these really good times and everything was going well and they just received some kind of get out of hell free car. Like that, he said that's not what it is. He says they've received the real gospel message. And the proof of that is that even when hard times came, even when persecution came that, run, that ran their pastors out of ta- town, they still had joy in the Holy Spirit. And so, church, if we're honest... I mean, the gospel message, it sounds really good until hard times come, right? It sounds really good until the Holy Spirit starts doing some stuff inside of us, right? If we just have the message, hey, there's a God who loves you and is gracious and has hope and, and, and just wants you to, to say yes, I mean, that sounds great. There's not many people, if you, just that alone, you, I mean, yeah, sign me up, right? Like, just to have a God who says yes, and, and if he's real, then I get out of hell, like, Sure, I'm, I'm on board. But he says, that's, that's not the gospel message that they believed. He said, the real gospel is about a God who loves you, who has showed great grace to you, who has offered you a hope. And simultaneously, he doesn't take you out of this world. He doesn't ease everything in your life. He doesn't make the road easier sometimes it may even get harder but the gospel message is the God who saved you is also the God who's going to lead you through the God who is reigning on the throne the God who is almighty and the God who sent his spirit to live inside of us the gospel message is not that life gets easier but that we have the spirit of God living inside of us being with us in power and here he says with joy amidst all circumstances. So Paul's confident here that, that this gospel message that is of salvation, but also says amidst all circumstances that you're gonna have a joy through the good times and the bad, that there's gonna be a joy in you. He says, you've received that message. You've truly believed that even when persecution came, even in the moments where you felt alone, where you faced darkness, where you faced hardships. He says, I've seen a joy that is strung through all of that that only comes from the gospel. And I'll tell you, this is one of the things that I love about the City Light family of churches. You could walk into 
any of the City Light churches, and I know absolutely that they're preaching this gospel message. It's one of the reasons I love this church is that, Council Bluffs, you're built on the foundation of this type of gospel, that the God of the universe has saved you, and he also is leading you, and he promises a joy that goes through any circumstance. There's a joy that's, that's in these churches because we know that the Spirit is present here. Friends, I would ask you this morning, have you received this true gospel message? Amen. The good news that, that you are a sinner apart from God. That through the death of Jesus, he's brought you into life with him. And he has now promised that you will have a spirit, the spirit of God, living inside of you until that day when you're in his presence forever. Have you experienced the joy of the spirit that no matter what happens in life, no matter the darkness or the sorrow you may feel, that there's an underlying joy in your life? Have you experienced the work of the Spirit inside of you? For Paul, this is the marker. This is a marker. He says, I'm confident because I've seen this in you. You know, and as I ask myself this question, I look at this and say, man, okay, would Paul be confident in me? Have I received this message and friends, I can tell you that, that even in the darkest of moments, I was telling my wife this week that, that even in church planting, when it's gotten busy, and I've felt alone, and I've felt attacks, that I am still here, not by the power of myself, but because I know that the Spirit of God is working inside of me. That's my only hope, and that's my joy getting me through, is that the Spirit of God is alive through his gospel message. Paul's first confidence is that they've truly received this message. And then he goes on and he says, not only have you received this, but it's actually empowered you to repent. So look again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, you've received it. And now he goes on in verse 8. It says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath to come. What I want us to focus on in that idea is that he says in verse 9 that you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So this word turned here, in the original language that this, this was written in, when we translate it to turned, what it speaks of is it's this imagery of somebody physically looking or facing one direction and actually turning around and now facing another direction. So that's the, that's the imagery that Paul's painting here. He's saying, you were once walking and looking in one direction, and now you're looking in a completely different direction. You have completely turned. And he says, what happened there in this turning has sounded forth everywhere. So not even just in their town and in their region, but but their turning from idols to God has sounded forth everywhere. In other words, 
What Paul is saying is that this church in Thessalonica once had their eyes fixed in one direction, and now they have turned and they are fixing their eyes on another. City Light, this is repentance. This is the idea of repentance. It literally means to turn. It's the exact imagery that Paul is painting here, that you were once living one way, and now you've completely turned, and you're living in a completely different way. And Paul's saying, I'm confident in your faith because you've received the gospel. You have the spirit of God inside of you, and you once lived one way, and now you're living a completely different way. You've completely changed. You know, um, Martin Luther, the, the famous theologian, or maybe infamous if you grew up in the Catholic Church, but the, 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 the man, Martin Luther, he, he wrote this 95 Theses. It was kind of his defense of the faith. And the first thing he put, his number one thing, was that the, the mark of a believer's life, if you believe in Jesus, your life will be marked by repentance. He said, from beginning until end, from the time that you meet Jesus until the time that you fully meet him in heaven, your life will be marked by repentance. And Paul says, this genuine repentance and life transformation of the Thessalonians was being spread everywhere. And isn't that, isn't that so true how this works? Right? Like we, can, we can preach the gospel with words, and we need to do that. Faith comes through hearing the word of God. We can do that. But what rings forth even more sometimes is how we actually live our life. Right? With people that are living one way and have completely transformed to living another. He says, what happens there, that just rings forth everywhere. That goes out everywhere when people see, hey, I used to see you doing this and, and now you're completely different. You used to have your eyes fixed on this thing, and now you seem to have your eyes fixed on something else. I'll tell you, I I grew up in a small town in northeast Nebraska, uh, Norfolk, and I grew up there, and the whole time I lived there, I wasn't a Christian. And so um, the people that knew me growing up or or in high school, um, I'll just say they didn't think I would be on a stage like this, right? Like, the people there knew me when I was just, I, I mean, literally just a jerk. I was a jerk. I smoked and partied and, and I, I was lazy and I was just disrespect. I was just not a good guy. My eyes were fixed on anything in this world that would please me, anything that I could get my hands on. I was living for myself and this world. Now, over the last couple of years, I started working at City Light after I've become a Christian. I've had some people that have been at a service there, and I've had people from Norfolk come up to me, and, and almost all of them have said something to the line of, man, I never thought I'd see you doing this, right? Like, I never thought you would be here. Well, why? Because when they knew me, my eyes were fixed on the world. I was fixed on one thing, and now by God's grace, he's empowering me to fix my eyes on something else. And that life transformation, that life change goes everywhere. I mean, it spreads everywhere. Anybody that sees that can see, I mean, there's something different about this person. He says, I'm confident in you, church, because I'm seeing life transformation. I'm seeing you focus on God. And so, City Light, I would ask, is this true of you? As you look at your 
life, is this true of you? Has God softened your heart to the reality of the gospel? That Jesus has come to die for you and wants to send his spirit to live inside of you? Have you experienced the the spirit of God working in you? Have you experienced a joy that, that can't be explained outside of the working of God? Has your life began to look different? Were you once focused and fixed on something in the world, and now by God's grace, you fixed your gaze on Jesus? Is this true of you? You know, my hope that this would be a mark of your church, that all of Council Bluffs could look in and see, man, something's going on at City Light Council Bluffs. We see a joy here that just doesn't make sense. We see a group of people that used to live one way, and now for some reason, they're living a different way, that, that all of Council Bluffs could look in and see, man, there's something going on here. That, that Doug and Eric could leave and say, man, I got confidence in this church because I know they've received the gospel message and I've seen their life begin to change. Now, City Light, I want to end by just asking the simple question. If you're here thinking, okay, I, I, I want to believe, but, but how do I do this? Right? How do I fix my eyes on this? How do we change? And I think it comes at the end of this section. Look again with me. He says in verse 9, He says that you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Friends, the ability to truly repent and transform your life is solely dependent on where you're fixing your gaze. You know, Paul says that you need to change from fixing your eyes on the dead, false, lifeless idols of this world and fix your gaze on the living king of kings. He says, fix your eyes on God and his son. And not his dead son, but his living son, the son of God who's living and reigning now. He says, not his humble and meek son, but the king, the, the Jesus, the one who didn't just go and leave us, but who has saved us from the wrath of sin and who one day will save us from the presence of sin completely. He says, fix your eyes on the beauty of Jesus. He says, if you fix your gaze on Jesus, if he is lifted high in your life and you fix on him, he says, you will not be able to help but change. He says, Jesus will work inside of you and you will begin to live for him. And if you do, that will ring forth Everywhere. All of Council Bluffs will see that there's a king that City Light Council Bluffs is worshiping. That there's another being that their eyes are fixed on and that they are living for. That this isn't something that you do by trying harder. It's something you do by just fixing your eyes on Jesus. Friends, I pray for you in this. That as a family of churches, we would all just fix our gaze on the true living son of God.